Nelson Mandela had so much compassion for his brothers and sisters. People don't realize it's about the Beatles, but they knew they were brilliant. One story in every human being that defines who you are. Do we film on a volcano that's just about to explode? But the reason this mail pack has been astoundingly successful is because there are pictures of rabbits on the envelope. I mean, I think there's something about chaos, right? It either, either you run from it or you run towards it. And for me, there was really this in instance of wanting to run towards it. Welcome to Great Minds. It's great to have Blake Ross, a longtime and dear friend, uh, with us. And um, Blake, I know you're a New York gal. Um, take us back. We first met when you were at Sunshine Sachs uh, many, many years ago. Take us back to your first job, first day of work. What do you remember? Gosh, <clears throat> my first job, as you said, was at Sunshine Sachs. I was the assistant to the Sunshine in Sunshine Sachs, Ken Sunshine. And I sat, I shared a cubicle cube with his primary assistant. I was the secondary assistant. Um, and primarily my job was to get up early enough so that I could be in the office when Ken was in the office, which was quite early. Somehow, um, during the interview process, I uh, made it a couple of rounds and made it into Ken Sunshine's office for my last interview. Um, and I saw a picture of Barbara Streisand on the wall and I said, oh, you pray to my goddess too. And uh, he laughed and I was a theater kid at heart. Dance? We talked a little bit about Barbara Streisand. We ended up just talking for 20 minutes about Barbara and then he said, you're hired. So <laughs> somehow that that connection got me the job. After a, a little bit of being his assistant, what he likes to call the worst assistant he ever had, because I didn't like being an assistant and wanted to start working. And somehow, some way, talked my way into working onto the Barbara Streisand roster and ended up going out on tour with her in 2006 and 2007 all throughout the country and in Europe. Um, and it was an amazing experience to cut my teeth as a young person out on the road, um, being a roadie um, with one of the greatest singers of a generation. And another one of my uh, first clients right out of the gate was the very first formative years of advertising week. And that's how I met you and Lance. Very true. That was, that was, those were great days. And I always credit to this very day, the team, including you and the firm led by Kenny and Sean for really broadening the scope of who cares about advertising week. You know, what you did strategically took us from the trades who we know and love to broader general lifestyle and business press. And uh, we still have that uh, momentum thanks to the job that you and the Heather and the other members of the team did way back when. Yeah, it was very much a part of the ethos of Sunshine Sacks, and I think it still remains. I mean, I haven't been there for many years, but I still count Ken and Sean as, as mentors of mine. Um, but it was very much part of their ethos that um, clients not be pigeonholed to their um, direct 
line of communication so that people like Advertising Week should not just be covered by the trades and people who cover advertising, but because advertising is so widespread and con and consists of consumers around the world that we should be targeting that type of press. And I think that ethos very much matches with what Advertising Week is all about. And it's not just about how do we as advertisers and marketers talk to our core constituents, but how do how does advertising impact the world and culture and what people are consuming um, and technology and all these things that that are the broader scope of advertising and marketing. So that's why I was so much so drawn to you guys and your mission. And you've clearly brought it not just, you know, to the epicenter of, of marketing in New York City, but to the world. Um, but that's why I loved working with you guys and, and found a home there for many years. Yeah, no, that was a, a terrific run we had. So I want to get to Kindness of Strangers, um, which is what brought us together today. But tell us a little bit about you got a chance to sort of, as a theater kid, to fulfill a dream and uh, and had a great run as editor of Playbill after you left Sunshine Sacks. You know, I, somehow I carved my, my niche at Sunshine Sacks as a publicist and found um, a bit of a home with those that I like to say appealed to the older gal generation. <laughs> Anything that was uh, flashy and jazz handsy and theater related somehow fell in my lap because that was my my love and my passion. And after years of doing that as a publicist, I ended up getting the chance to move over to Playbill and run their editorial. Um, and this was beginning in 2008, 2009 when the crash happened and everybody was sort of reevaluating how uh, media was going to be operating in the future. And I went to go work for a primarily print publication that um, printed 4 million magazines a month. And we had to figure out not only how to maintain that existence, but also how to um, exist in a digital and other otherwise um, uh, medium so that we could survive into the future. And so for the for the 10 years that I was there, that's exactly what we did. We pivoted and uh, created some amazing initiatives that helped keep Playbill alive. And it's still thriving today. So I'm pretty proud of that. Were you with, with still with Sunshine Sacks or with Playbill when you interviewed Lin-Manuel Miranda on stage with us? Most shows on Broadway don't make their money back. About one in five do. So you can't do it because you think it's going to have all this success. You have to do it because you have to live with the fact that if this opens and closes in a night, it will have been worth it for me. I'm proud of my work. I'm proud of what I made. And then um, I was at Playbill, but Lynn happened to have been one of my clients very early on when he was just starting with his first show in the Heights. Um, and so we've maintained uh, a friendship uh, for a couple of years. And yeah, it was really cool to get to interview him, have, sort of have my worlds collide and get to talk to him on stage at Advertising Week a couple of years ago. It was awesome. So tell me about some of the, from that period of your life, it's such a, a wonderful creative industry, both people that are on stage and that are the writers, the directors, the creators. Who were some of the great minds that you came across there that you really drew inspiration from? Well, Lynn certainly um, was one of uh, the first people I ever met that decided to challenge a status quo of something that was a really long-held tradition. I mean, Broadway is one of the oldest of uh, communities that's going, and in some ways it operates very much 
you know, 10 to 20 years behind a lot of industries. Um, they're, they're very slow to, to catch on. And Lynn was one of the first people to say, um, I love the theater, but I also love rap. And I think those two can operate together in some way. And he blew the doors off of what people thought was a, um, uh, a Broadway show, and I think it's fair to say that our founders couldn't have dreamt up uh, the future that they set in motion. And it's only by exercising their greatest gift to us, the gift of citizenship, that we keep our democracy alive and continue the work of creating that more perfect union. So, with that, let's get started. Enjoy the show. does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence impoverished. He did it not only um, artistically, but he did it commercially. It's one of the most successful commercial story stories we've seen out of the theater in years. And so, um, you know, people like Lynn, people like a director called Alex Timbers, um, who's doing enormous things with technology and the theater and sort of challenging, again, this status quo of how we as art artists can um, exist in the oldest medium in the world, the theater, and bring it to new audiences, new technologies, new way of thinking. Um, there's also a great bit of technology uh that just sprung up over the past couple of years called Today Ticks. It's an app that you can get on your phone. And it was started by a guy named Brian Fenty. He's uh, in his 30s, has a VC background, um, but also loved the theater and raised millions upon millions of dollars to start this new entity called Today Ticks, where you can get theater tickets last minute. Like you can catch an Uber, you can catch a Broadway show. And he's sold billions of dollars worth of tickets on um, on this entity. And, you know, theater, their technology is slow to the theater and the theater is slow to technology. It's not, um, it, it's, so it, it's not often that we get people, innovators who want to, um, invest in our industry. And so, um, to have people like that who want to give of themselves and not make as much money, nearly as much money as they would in other entertainment mediums, um, is really inspiring to me. Now, in this age of Corona, there are a lot of businesses that are trying to pivot. I guess that's the popular lexicon to adapt to this new era. There are other businesses that are sort of boxed in as live experiential events or not at all. How worried are you about, you know, Broadway reemerging from this, you know, dark period? Um, I think it's really scary. I am worried. Um, I don't want to paint it with rosy glasses. I think, you know, many industries have endured lots of tough times. Um, and this is going to be a really hard time for Broadway. I think that, um, you know, people have been spending weeks now enjoying free content out of their homes and, uh, have been drilled in their head to stay away from people. And the essence of Broadway is the exact opposite of that. And um, 
I think that it's going to be hard to put down our devices and go back into a place packed full of people and enjoy an experience like the theater again. So I don't want to um, say it lightly, but I do think, you know, the theater has been around since the dawn of time. Um, and it's the way that people express themselves. It's, and I, and I, I think commercially, um, there's been some efforts to keep artists standing. Um, Broadway producers have put in millions of dollars into the Actors Fund and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, both of their emergency responses to keep artists afloat during this time because most of them have been laid off. Um, and when you lose your show, you lose your health insurance. Um, and so there have been some valiant efforts to keep um, the community together. But I think it's going to be hard. And especially if we're, this was a really particularly tough time to to get cut at the knees because the springtime is when all the new shows come out. Um, and so, and it's when the Tony awards happen in early June. And so the big commercial events that are the theater were taken away from us this year. And that'll have huge financial implications for the theater. Um, but just like any industry, we're going to have to weather this storm and figure out how to move forward and, and grow from it. Yeah, I can't imagine a world where we're not back, you know, in the theaters, where we're not back at Madison Square Garden. You know, my son and nephews, we were all planning a big trip in mid-June to go to Louisville to go see the Rolling Stones. And, you know, you know Keith Richards is going to survive this because he's lasted this long. And I can't imagine a world where, you know, the Stones are playing and there aren't 60, 70, 80,000 people there. Yeah, look, I mean, Broadway sells more tickets every year than every single sports team in New York City combined. So it's a big industry. And it, for a lot of people, it's the lifeblood of New York. So I can't imagine that we would disappear. I just think it's going to be tough times. You know, not every show is Hamilton or The Lion King. Um, there are the smaller shows and smaller theaters through, littered throughout the city that are really going to have tough times. And so what I tell people is that they want to support the theater. Um, there's a few ways. One, they can donate to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, which is the most amazing organization that not only helps people surviving and thriving with AIDS, but also gives grants to a lot of um underserved artists. Um, but also you could also buy a ticket for the future, um, and not expect a refund, just buy a ticket for a show that you want to see. Um, you'll be able to get a ticket. It'll be easier. Um, but also it'll give you something to look forward to and it'll get put money in the coffers of these shows that still need to remain open. Right. Right. Now, now you can get a ticket to Hamilton. <laughs> Maybe so, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I think that fundamental human need to be with other people and to connect with other people um, has been disrupted. We know that. And you started something which is just phenomenal and which is what caught our attention um, called Kindness of Strangers. Tell us about the idea, how you thought of it, and break that down for us. Well, um, you know, one of the greatest things about New York City is one of our greatest um, threats during this time of COVID. We are such a dense city and um, you, the ability to go out 
alone and not feel alone is enormous in New York. You could go out and talk to people in coffee shops and on the subway and chat with other moms and kids and playgrounds and things like that. And within an instant, that was taken away from us. And it was incredibly jarring to the 8 million plus people living in New York City. Um, And at the same time, uh, my sister-in-law, Heather, she's a social worker at NYU Langone and was describing the early days of what it was like to be in a hospital setting during a pandemic. Uh, she also got COVID and after two weeks is recovered and back working at the hospital. She's a hero of mine, uh, needless to say. And so I was feeling this overwhelming feeling, helplessness to help somebody and also this disconnection of not being able to be around my neighbors or anybody really except the two people that I live with, my daughter and my husband. Um, And so I figured, well, what could I do? Um, And the only thing I know how to do is connect people. Um, It's what I've done throughout my career and it's what I do as a person is try and connect other people with like-minded skills and hobbies, et cetera. And so I figured there's a lot of people I know that are out of work. Um, that might need help putting their resume together or or navigating unemployment. Um, there's a lot of moms I know that don't know how to teach their kids at home and also work at home. There's lots of people that are in need. How can I help connect them to people who want to help? And these people who want to help also can't leave their, their apartments. So I figured, why not create a network where people can rely on the kindness of strangers? As a, as a theater person, I had to add in that little bit of... Uh, nod to Tennessee Williams and uh, said, okay, let's just create a space where people can quickly sign up. Tell me what you're good at. Tell me what you need help with and I'll connect you. There aren't many people working in the city right now, but you guys on the front lines of the coronavirus war are putting in overtime, double time. And I cannot imagine how exhausting it must be for you. I just want to say all of us here at New York One are cheering you on for going above and beyond. And I know you're all doing this at great risk to your own health. Um, And they've been everybody from a Reiki master who wants to do energy healing over the phone to people who want to pray together. We have an LGBTQ minister who's been connecting with people um, to people who are teachers who are helping tutor, give free tutoring lessons to students who are stuck inside. What do you want to say, Simon? Thank you for the Corona Monster. For fighting the corona monster, right? Um, HR professionals who are helping people navigate unemployment and things like that. Um, and so that's how that was the germ of the idea. And then uh, since then, I've just figured what are the populations that need help? Um, we had talked before we started recording about your mother, um, being in a nursing home. My grandmother was in a nursing home and those people are incredibly isolated. Um, and so I've reached out to a couple of nursing homes and we've started partnering with some of them to provide kind, what we're calling kind calls to some seniors, um, in nursing homes around the country, um, to provide, uh, written letters, pen pals, adopt a grandparent kind of, uh, kind of program um, and just provide a friendly voice on the other end of the line to say, hi, I'm so-and-so from somewhere else. And I just want to connect and make your day a little brighter. Fantastic. And you've already had 350 people sign up. Yep. So 
for those who are listening who want to help, I know the URL is a kindstranger.com, but what's the call to action here? What do we want people to do? So sign up to, if you're, if you find yourself with at minimum a 30 minute window of your day where you just feel like you want to either connect with somebody or you want to help somebody, go to a kindstranger.com, sign up for as little as 30 minutes and just put, think of what you would want to put out into the world. Um, whether it's your professional expertise or, your hobbies. Um, one of my favorite kind calls that I just connected was from a, the head librarian at the university of Michigan, who also happens to be a squirrel enthusiast. Never thought I'd meet one of those, but there you go. Met, uh, had a kind call with a, another librarian slash principal at a at a, um, high school in the American Arctic. You need a plane, like a couple of planes to get there. And they, talked and chatted about being a librarian and be in this time of COVID. And so really anything that you're willing to give and share with another person, we're looking and, and share also um, the gift of being a kind stranger and share with your friends, share it on social and help get the word out. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that we're seeing in incredibly graphic ways you know, people like your sister-in-law who are on the front lines, you know, working in hospitals, working in emergency rooms, working in the ICUs. I mean, uh, you know, I've never looked at someone who works in a grocery store as a cashier, as a hero. I sure look at them differently now. And, and I think what you are doing to help fill a gap for those who are unable to manage on their own or connect with other people on their own, like people that are in nursing homes, um, or just someone who's looking for someone to talk to. Um, it's another you know, great example of the triumph of the human spirit, and in this case, the power of an idea. And in this particular case, that idea came from you. Um, and that's something you should be really proud of. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm just a connector trying to help. Um, you know, another one I should mention, another, another thing that we just set up today, a nurse, from Breckenridge, Colorado, uh, is coming out to New York City to help at Mount Sinai, not getting paid, so coming, flying out of his own pocket and then giving of his time not being paid, needed a place to stay. And I found him through the kindness of strangers, found him an apartment on the Upper West Side to lay his head. You know, and this is co coming from a couple of days after a New York Times article um, reported about another doctor coming from New Hampshire, not being able to get into an apartment in New York city because the, the, the co-op board wanted to keep him out. So when you hear of these desperate stories of things that are the shitty things that are going on in the world, I then just try and revert and say, well, there is some wonderful things that are going on in the world and just try and spin that little bit of positivity out into the world. So I'm doing my little lot. And I guess at, in the end, it's the call of action is really what tiny little bit can you do to just have a better day today and give a little bit to your fellow man, even though you're trapped inside? Because that's what's going to, like you said, the triumph of the human spirit. That's what's going to get all of us through at the end of the day. Yeah. One of uh, the great joys of what we've been doing with Advertising Week over the last several years is we've gotten to travel to a lot of places and meet a lot of interesting people. 
And we have become very close with the leaders of the Mandela Foundation in Johannesburg and um, with Ndaba Mandela in particular, who is Nelson's eldest grandson. And Nelson Mandela had many wonderful quotes, but one of them, and I'll just get this you know, loosely correct, was that what matters in life is not what you do, but it's how your life enriches the lives of others. And that's the real measure of a life. Um, and, you know, the, the flip side of that coin is a line from Hamilton, from your friend Lin-Manuel Miranda, who said, you know, the measure is planting seeds in a garden that you never live to see grow. Um, and what you are doing now, planting these seeds, making these connections, helping bring a little bit of sunshine into people's lives who may not have much, um, is doing exactly, you know, both of those things. So, well, I think we as individuals are learning that. And I think also, you know, you, I think advertising week this year, when it does go on, it's going to be really interesting because corporate responsibility is at a tenfold nowadays. Not only are you trying to figure out how to keep your company alive, but also um, how can you as a company not only survive, but give back to the community, give back to the people who work at your company. It's going to be a really interesting time to, to go to Advertising Week um, and just hear about how people are going to talk about a pivot. Um, I hope it's a pivot for the better that we as industry members are going to be um, figuring out how to not only uh, make industry work again, but figure out how this us carries a kind spirit into the future of our economy. Well, Blake, thanks so much. You're going to get me to sign up right after we hang up. And I'm going to go and do a little uh, article uh, on it and the uh, whatever I can do to help and whatever we could do at AW360. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Thank you very much for listening. And for more content just like this, visit advertisingweek360.com. Production on this episode was by Jack Hirschman and Brendan Porter. An original music was by Ian Levy.